And we're live. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is Micah here with Electric. I'm joined by our editor and uh, founder, Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. And this is our new Wheelie podcast. So uh, this is where we're going to come fortnightly and talk about all sorts of uh, non-car EV stories, right, Seth? That's what electric bikes, electric motorcycles, what else? Yeah, mobility in general. I think that's that's the term that folks are using for uh, the alternative, uh, transportation. Um, and you know, we're, we're obviously focused on the electric version of that. So no, no gas powered planes, no, uh, gas boats. We're all, we're all about the, uh, the electric stuff here. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many different types of electric vehicles out there. So we're going to try to include a, a little bit of everything here. So, uh, this is our, our first episode and it's right at the beginning of the year. So it gives us this interesting opportunity to, look back at the biggest stories of 2021 and look forward at what we think is going to happen in 2022. All right. So um, um, what do we have on deck here for our, our biggest stories of, of 2021? Well, jumping in, oops, I'm on the wrong thing here. Oh, it opens in a new window. I wonder how, how to avoid that. Uh, I guess I just copy this and go here. All right. So uh, the first uh, kind of the big story of, of the year was um, the shipping issues that were kind of part of the pandemic thing. So absolutely, uh, yeah. So uh, e-bikes. I mean, sales have just been shooting up like crazy over the last two years, but this year it's just really skyrocketed. But at the same time, there's um, just like everything, there's supply chain issues, there's shipping challenges. And so this has really been a, a tricky year for the the e-bike industry. Um, in this story here, we saw how uh, a number of companies, uh, here we see the Ride One Up electric bikes, were actually having to tell their customers, um, you know, these, these bikes that you ordered for Christmas presents, unfortunately, they're not going to get here in time. And uh you know, this is, I know it's been happening across a lot of industries, but electric bicycles have been specifically hit just so hard by this because um, throughout the pandemic, everyone's been switching to electric bicycles, both from, you know, the recreational side, the people are locked down, they're home, they have more time. People are switching for alternative transport. They don't want to be on buses and, and taking public transportation. They want, you know, a socially distant form of transportation. And so it's just put these huge stressors on the electric bicycle industry from the supply side, getting all of these parts and from the uh, shipping side, trying to, you know, get in line off the uh, Long Beach uh, port there and, and unload all of these container ships. Yeah. And, and it's not to say that, you know, if the pandemic didn't happen, um, e-bikes were absolutely still exploding and would have continued to grow. Uh, it's just the pandemic kind of fast forwarded everything and kind of blew everybody's expectations and ship times out of the water. And then, you know, on the other side of that, um, the pandemic also caused um, a lot of um, supply chain issues. And so it was kind of like a perfect storm of, you know, <laughs> making bikes hard to get, uh, you know, but I would say like the, the bike industry kind of handled it. Uh, as best they could. And a lot of the big names were able to kind of muscle their way into getting those those parts off the supply chain. 
Um, yeah, I was really impressed by the creativity of a lot of these companies. Um, I mean, so Rad Power Bikes is obviously the biggest. They actually bought a, a whole pile of their own shipping containers and they chartered a uh, vessel. I don't know if it was an entire container ship, but it was a very large shipping vessel to move their bikes. And then when companies ran into problems, I know Super 73 sent out uh, these pins instead of their e-bikes to customers that didn't get the bikes in time. So it was like this cheeky pin that said, um, you know, we're sorry your bike didn't arrive, but here's a picture of a container ship, which is probably where it's at. So uh, it, it was kind of funny to see how different companies sort of handled all the problems that arose along the way. Yeah. And speaking of Super 73, like don't want to get off topic too far, but um, they they were going to announce a uh, motorcycle like product, or at least we were speculating that. Um at uh, CES in Las Vegas, but it sounds like like a lot of companies they're pulling out. Do we know anything? Uh, do we know anything that we're allowed to talk about uh, in regard to that? I don't know anything that we're allowed to talk about or not allowed to talk about. <laughs> All I know is that uh, the unveiling is delayed. We don't know for sure it's an electric motorcycle, but their teaser images look like uh, you know a motorcycle outline, and they've just said that they'll be announcing their new products at a later date. So unfortunately we got to wait and see. I mean, you know, without getting too far ahead of ourselves and, and, you know, the next story is, is the Saunders Metacycle, but uh, it kind of feels like the story of the, you know, 2021 and kind of into 2022 is, you know, the higher powered electric bikes, whether that's e-bikes that are kind of on the edge of, you know, legality to things that are absolutely not even close to e-bikes like uh, Saunders here. So good segue into Saunders Metacycle. Right, absolutely. And, and I think that makes sense because there are so many people switching to personal electric mobility, whether that's motorcycles, whether that's electric bicycles, that these categories are sort of starting to blend. You know, people are are looking for um, electric two-wheelers, whether that's a, a bike or a motorcycle. And it's kind of like, um, you know, laws be damned. You know, we want something that's going to be uh, useful and fast and efficient. And so you get into a lot of these um, gap fillers, something that's sort of between a motorcycle and an e-bike. So with Saunders here, you know, they've been an electric bicycle company since, what, 2015, 16, something like that. Right. And uh, so this is their first electric motorcycle. And so they, they basically took, you know, their expertise in electric bicycles, which are um, in some ways small electric motorbikes. And they just scaled everything up with, you know, bigger batteries, much bigger motor. And they've got this very interesting motorcycle here that unfortunately, because of these same, you know, supply chain issues that we've been talking about has been delayed and delayed. Now we're looking at, you know, the middle of uh, 2022 now, as I think when uh, Storm Saunders said, we're supposed to finally see deliveries of this uh, Saunders Metacycle start happening. Yeah, and this is this isn't like they're gonna homologate this thing. It's not. This isn't something that you're gonna see on bike trails or, or in the bike lane. This is gonna be a full fledged like highway capable motorcycle when it comes out. Oh yeah, for for sure. And in fact, that's I mean part of the um, sort of issues behind some of the the pushback that we've actually heard about the motorcycle is that they've gone through this uh, homologation process and they're basically told by the DOT, you know, you need to change this, you need to add this, those lights aren't going to work, you need reflectors all over. So the, right. the design has changed a bit over time. And, you know, some people really liked that sexy, sleek 
uh, concept that unfortunately wasn't street legal. And so we've seen sort of a, uh, an evolution in the design here because of that. Yeah. And, and one thing that, uh, I guess kind of carries over from the electric bike industry, which, um, you know, traditional motorcycle makers, like, well, not traditional, but, you know, uh, zero and Harley, um, which are making electric bikes now, um, is the removable battery. And like, uh, Saunders obviously experience with e-bikes. Most e-bikes have a, a battery that you can remove. If you live in the city, you don't have to schlep your whole bike up, up, you know, three flights of stairs. You can just kind of take the battery off, charge it at home, then come down in the morning, pop it back in. So that's one thing the Metacycle has, which I think will appeal to a lot of city people, depending on how heavy it is, I guess. How heavy is that battery? Is it pretty big? It's supposed to be like uh, 45 to 50 pounds. They originally said okay. 45, but I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be on the higher end of that window. <laughs> All right. So it's not for everybody, probably, at, you know, 45 pound. Like I'm just imagining one of those plates, you know, when you're yeah. when you're bench pressing, those 45 pound plates are are not insignificant, I would say. Um, I wonder, I wonder if they've thought about, I mean, not, not even just like taking it up a flight of stairs, but even getting that thing off the bike seems like a little dangerous and, you know, get your finger stuck under that and it's over. (laughs) Uh, They've uh, shared a few videos of it and it seems to slide out pretty well. Um, I I guess I'd sort of compare it to like a a 45 pound kettlebell because it's got a nice handle on it. Right. But um, yeah, it's sort of the difference between possible and practical. And, um, you know, so Saunders kind of with the Metacycle, they kind of kicked off, you know, like it feels like the whole industry is like, all right, let's make let's make this bike, you know, a a four thousand, five thousand dollar highway motorcycle. It's not the only game in town, though. Obviously, um, you've talked about CSC before. Um, those aren't really highway capable, but um, there are a few others around. Yeah, so um, CSC unfortunately doesn't have a, uh, a highway capable motorcycle. They've got that 45 mile an hour city slicker. But there's also the uh, Coulter ES1, which we reviewed uh, maybe like six weeks ago or so. And, and that was a like 65, 70 mile an hour electric motorcycle. It's DOT approved, uh, street legal in the U.S., and it's already for sale. So um, it doesn't look as nice as the Metacycle. You know, they really did a nice job with the, the Metacycle design. But uh, there are starting to be some other options. There's also that um, new NIU uh, electric motorcycle, the RQI, which is not available yet, but is also supposed to uh, be coming around the middle of, of next year. So it'll be interesting to see which of the two, that or the Metacycle, is first to market. Yeah, and, and maybe that thing from uh, um, Super 73 pops in there. Yeah, that absolutely. Very, I'm, I'm guessing very, that's going to be more concepty, but we'll see. Yeah, very speculative on my part there. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on here. So I have to do this manually. Um, so probably one of the, uh, hopefully sensors don't hate this, but one of the badass uh, bikes of the year was this uh, Vulcan Grunt um, that, you know, obviously very popular to to imagine. Um, one of the things we like about it is it's uh, a U.S. kind of focused company. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this one. 
Yeah, definitely. So Vulcan started just about a year ago. I mean, they're a very young startup company. And their first product was this grunt uh, off-road electric motorcycle. It's got those fat tires. I mean, those look like they're, what, 10 inches wide. Um, and yeah, the grunt that goes... almost doesn't do it justice. You almost have to say, like, uh, obese or <laughs> I don't know what, what's what's the next yeah. level of fat tire because a fat tire you think of like a four inch you know beach right beach thing this is like this is like it would work on a car kind of tire yeah exactly like the the width of tractor tires but you know in, in the size of something that would fit on a on a motorcycle yeah, like a dune buggy I guess yeah yeah definitely I mean it looks like it just floats over the sand right mm-hmm so, um, yeah, I mean, this is a uh, 40 mile an hour off-road electric motorcycle, so it's not street legal. It's really designed for sort of two roles, the recreational, um, you know, exploring tra uh, trails and also uh, a bit of utility, like a farm bike sort of thing. And it is really cool that this is an American company building these in the U.S. They've got a production line in Texas and uh, they set it up really fast. I mean, you know, it was like a year ago that they just started. And the, the parts are also U.S.-based, or are they coming from all over, or mostly China? Do we know? So they haven't, um, they haven't been too transparent on the supply of most of these parts. I imagine the motors probably come from China or somewhere in Asia. The batteries, it's, it's likely, but they haven't said where all of these parts come from. So like a mm -hmm. lot of uh, American-built uh, vehicles, it's a, a very global supply chain. Great. And when are we going to be able to test ride and, and purchase one of these things? So they're available for purchase and they're actually making deliveries already. Um, I'm hoping to get out there this, uh, this winter actually to do a test ride on one of these, but perhaps even more interesting is they're going to have a um, four wheeled side-by-side uh, -side that's going to be coming up as well. They've got the beast and the stag. So two different power levels and uh, those are coming right behind the grunt. So I'm hoping that depending when I get out there, they'll have a prototype of either the Beast or the Stag ready for a test ride as well. So it's it's really impressive that they're doing all of this development here in the U.S. They've got some neat electric vehicles coming. So that you say four wheeler, that's, that's kind of like a, uh, you know, like the old, just like Kawasaki's or Honda's, uh, but electric versions of those. It's uh, probably a little closer to like the Polaris Ranger in that, oh, gotcha. um, you know, it's a full side by side. I mean, they're UTVs basically. Um, not so just like it'll have like a canopy or whatever. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it looks like you could, you know, roll one of these on a, a rock wall and you'd probably be okay. And those will be all wheel drive? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, moving on. Uh, now we're going to talk about. One of my favorite things, uh, Alibaba, and the uh, and the, I think this is one of our pop, more popular um, posts of the year, like the the cheap pickup. Uh, so take it away. Yeah, definitely. So uh, this was a fun one. I found this mini electric pickup truck on Alibaba for um, the awesomely weird Alibaba electric vehicle of the week series. And at first I just wrote about it and like how cool I thought it was. It was like a $2,000 electric pickup truck. I mean, it's like two thirds size, basically um, 4,000 Watts, you know, not super powerful. But the more I looked at it, the more I was like, 
I really want to try one of these. So I actually ended up buying one. It was a very weird process because it's, it's not like buying something on Amazon. I actually had to, um, you know, uh, video chat and um, like text chat with the factory. And we talked about all the different options for the truck. I put in the biggest battery. It was like 6,000 watt hours. Um, I tried to put in the biggest motor, but they only had the 3,000 watt motors in stock. So I got stuck with a 3,000 watt motor. What is the biggest motor? 4,000 watts. Okay. So, <laughs> so I didn't get that one. Yeah. It's not like Rivian with the, uh, you know, the, the huge, you know, four, four, it's not even close. It's not even like the same. Yeah. It shouldn't even be in the yeah. same. You're not going to be digging trenches with these uh, wheels. No. Yeah. You're going to be so, uh, getting stuck in trenches probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, so um... uh, the use case, uh, it's at your parents' place in Florida. Not a lot of hills in Florida to traverse. Uh, pretty flat over there. Uh, what, what? I mean, we haven't really got an update since uh, the post. Like, what is the current status of the thing? Yeah, so it's working great. Oh, man. So my parents love that thing. Every time I'm there, I'm driving it around. The neighbors think it's awesome. Um, we don't take it out on the street because it's unfortunately not street legal, but they have a big property, a lot of acres. And so it's basically like a, a farm truck there. We use it for... You know, moving things around the fields, uh, collecting, um, you know, yard waste, uh, fallen limbs, that sort of thing. My parents have a really long driveway um, to get out to the street. And they used to have to, like, put the trash cans in the uh, van or truck and, and drive it down to the street. But now they can actually put it in an electric vehicle and take it down there. So you don't have to burn gas just to, you know, bring your bins out. Um and, uh, you know, all these private roads, they're just, they're super long. So it's great to have this weird little, basically like a utility vehicle. It's sort of a, you know, a poor man's Polaris kind of. Yeah. But I mean, it's so much less expensive than a Polaris or, oh, yeah, or anything really that size. Yeah. I mean, the, the new Polaris Ranger is like uh, $25,000 or something, I want to say. So you and can this buy was like five, yeah, like four of them. Yeah. So yeah. this one, I, I decked it out, you know, with everything. It's got air conditioning and and, and it's, you know, nicely outfitted. So this one cost me almost 8000 total, but that was with like highway robbery shipping. It was like $2,500 in shipping and another thousand in duties. If if the world wasn't upside down right now, this would have been closer to like a $5,000 vehicle. Right. And if you filled up a couple of container ships of these containers, uh, what is like... What, what could you get it down to if, if this was back in normal times? Yeah, it's, these are tricky because uh, sometimes it's actually cheaper to ship them individually because they don't fill a container well. There's all that extra space. Um, right. Back when containers were, I think it was like three to $4,000 to ship a container uh, in the before times a couple of years ago. Right. Then this might have been closer to like a five maybe $6,000 vehicle, again, with like all the options I put in it, you know, it's got the hydraulic mm -hmm. dumping bed, which, you know, most trucks you buy today don't have. Right. So if you, if you didn't have the air conditioning, you didn't have like the hydraulic bed, maybe you could get this down to 4,000 bucks. It'd probably be tricky, but that might be the, the basement. I mean, the thing is with the shipping being so expensive, you might as well get the, the upgrades because those are relatively inexpensive compared to the shipping costs. Yeah, absolutely. It was like 250 bucks for air conditioning. All right, I'm in Florida. I'll take that. Yeah. And and how's it holding up? Are you know, is there rust on the screws anywhere? Is it are the tires still good? Do you need are you thinking about upgrades? Like 
maybe wider tires or something. Yeah, so it's actually holding up really well. There were just a couple nicks in the paint that are getting a, a little bit of rust, and I really need to go back and uh, repaint just a couple areas that, that got nicked in shipping. But other than that, I mean, it's it's working great. It's actually working better now. A few things needed to break in, like the hydraulic ram that lifts the dump bed was sticking in the beginning. But now that we're using it a lot, it's it's really sort of broken in, and and that works well. The biggest upgrade I want to do is just to get some bigger tires on it. The suspension is just awful. It's like almost (laughs) not there. So um, if anything, I think the springs are are way too stiff. Uh, A lot of people thought it still had like blocks in the springs from shipping. That's how stiff it was. So I'm thinking if I can get some bigger tires, then I can perhaps, you know, run lower pressure and just make the ride a little bit nicer. Hmm. You won't get all that range, though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going too far from a plug. It's staying on the property. <laughs> right. And and is there any, like, is there any route to, like, homologating something like this? Is there, like, I, you know, we, we used to have the neighborhood electric vehicle NEVs uh, in the U.S. I don't know if that, that's even still a thing anymore, but, like, this would kind of fit in that category. Uh, is that something you're thinking about or is that, like, not even on the table? Yeah, definitely. So it it really depends on your state because there are um, federal regulations for uh, what constitutes a, an LSV, a low speed vehicle, which is like the the legal designation, uh, and then the sort of colloquial term is neighborhood electric vehicle. And at the federal level, you know, you need like um, all the DOT parts. So that's DOT seat belts and DOT windshield, and and you know everything in there has to be um, produced by a, a DOT factory. But when right, you get to the state happening. level. Yeah. Uh, some states have more lax laws. So like in Florida, there's a way to do a, um, a golf cart conversion. So if you take like a golf cart and you swap in like DOT glass and you swap in DOT seatbelts, they'll give you a VIN number and then you can actually register it as a, a low speed vehicle or neighborhood electric vehicle. So I'm looking at the potential of doing that here and, and doing it through the, the golf cart conversion process so that I can you know check all the boxes and then get a VIN number for it. Yeah, I imagine Florida in particular uh, with, you know, places like the villages where they have like the golf carts are like the main mode of transportation. I, I imagine there's some sort of like route to getting that thing legalized. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's also a lot of localities that just sort of look the other way. Like uh, I was out on, on Key Biscayne a few months ago and everyone there just drives golf carts on the street. I don't think they're technically legal, but it's just like what's done. And as long as yeah. you're not, you know, causing problems, I guess like it's, it's fine. The police don't care. It's just normal. Yeah. Where my in-laws are as well. It's like they're on normal streets. They're just like, you know, going normal 25 mile per hour speeds. Um, and like, I, I agree with you as long as you're not being an idiot, like nobody cares. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the route to, um, compliance here and then i also noticed the solar like you you turning this into a solar powered uh vehicle yeah so that's the cool thing is that the um the charger is is basically like a large electric bike charger i mean you just plug it into the wall and it goes off of 110 so i had that uh, jackery unit with its solar panels so um i did that test there and it actually worked great that i could plug the uh truck's charger into the jackery then the dragger into the solar panels and it just sat there all afternoon charging the battery straight from the sun. 
it was just entirely an off-grid solar system. Now, so that's going AC. So you're going DC solar into the inverter for the Jackery, and then the Jackery spitting out AC, and then there's another inverter going to DC. Is there any way to get DC directly in there? It could be done for sure. Uh, and I'm actually considering putting a small uh, panel right on top of the sunroof. Uh, did I mention nice. it has a sunroof? <laughs> and uh, and I think that would be a cool way to trickle charge it. Because you're right, it's not super efficient this way to do like two or three uh, inversions along the way. But right. it spends so much time outside that even like, you know, a little 30 or 40 watt panel could potentially put 10, 15% of a battery's charge in it each day. And it's probably got 50, 60 miles of range. So if you're only going five or six miles around the property, you could just charge off a little panel sitting on the, you know, the top of the cab. Yeah. And, and this is rear wheel drive or front wheel drive? It's rear wheel drive. Any temptation to throw a motor on the front wheels at all? I'm not sure it could take it. I mean, there's, uh, it does have a solid axle, but I'm not sure how, how I'd tap into that. I wonder if you could do like, uh, hub, hub motors in the, the front things. I don't know. That, that might be, be a possibility. Kind of It'd be a triple motor uh, truck at that point. Right. That's exciting. All right. Well, keep us up to date on, on that thing. I, I, uh, I'm always, you know, I had that gem that was kind of converted for a while and that was, that was, we kind of used it for the same thing, but um, it was running off of uh, lead acid batteries. And once those go bad, it's just over. Yeah, unfortunately. The lesson there, don't get lead acid. All <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of Alibaba uh, and bigger tires, uh, another popular post this year was the $1,700 Alibaba electric Jeep which looks amazing and only looks slightly less amazing when you actually show people in it because <laughs> it is almost like a <laughs> power wheels for adults. Yeah. So, you know, people would joke about my truck that it was like power wheels, but this one really is like a, a grown up kid's toy. So uh, th this was a cool one because after I wrote about this uh, mini electric Jeep, someone actually bought it. And then like kept me updated throughout the process. So uh, this guy, Kyle, just like really cool dude. He, you know, told me all about the journey here. So he bought this. It came super packaged, just like every nut and bolt was taken out of this thing. So it actually fit in like a pretty small little steel box in the back of a truck, whereas mine came in a gigantic cage fully assembled. Yeah. And what's important about this is like, the shipping cost is going to be way less because you can probably put up like a hundred of those in a container versus, you know, four or five. Yeah. I think this cost him like 200 bucks to ship it, which was like a 10th of what I paid to ship right. my truck. Yeah. So That's... this was, um, I mean, it's crazy how efficient you can be when you really package it down that small. Yeah. So that makes it a lot more tempting, especially if you're thinking like group buys and stuff like that. Yeah, um, the downside but, is assembly was was not easy. And he said there was right. you know, parts that didn't even line up. He had to get his welder out and like make yeah. some <laughs> modifications to get this thing together. Yeah, usually when the welding kit comes out, that that no longer becomes that no longer is like you know some assembly required. That's like some you're basically building required. it. Yeah, yeah. But but it actually like of all the things, it includes like that windshield is kind of a definitely a joke. But like that winch actually looks pretty solid. 
Yeah, I mean, the the winch, the wheels, I mean, it's, once you get it together, you said it's a, a solid ride. They basically use it around the neighborhood, and, you know, the kids take it out when they go camping, but uh, they, it's like a carpool vehicle now. He said his wife, like, would drop the kids off at, at friends' houses in the neighborhood, and it's like a pretty useful little golf cart replacement. You know, we talked about how some communities, they just sort of look the other way on golf carts on the streets. This fits into that category of... You know, as long as you're not being a hooligan. Right. I think my biggest problem with it is that you're sitting over the back wheels. Like, I feel like there could be some opportunity for like, you know, doing like if you're going up a hill and you just fall back on your on your back. Has he said anything about that being an issue? So far, I haven't heard anything about that. And I, I had the same worry as you. But in that video from Alibaba of the guy driving it up a dirt hill, it's a pretty right. steep incline. And I was worried he was going to flip over backwards. And it seems to to work just fine. I guess there's a lot of metal in there. And there's a lot of metal pretty far forwards. That's so true, I guess yeah. it's, it's decently counterbalanced there. Is it front wheel drive or rear, rear wheel? I'm pretty sure it's rear wheel drive. Okay. I think it's got a solid axle in the rear just like my truck does. Man, if it wasn't for the, the welding component, that would be super tempting to get. I mean, even as like, you know, I have uh, kids 10 and 13, like just to give them something to do, like, you know, they, ha they obviously have their bikes and e-bikes, but uh, like this would be just a, a lot, load of fun around that, the yard. Yeah. Doesn't it just bring out the kid in you? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, for me, I would, I would be like, hey, this is a little small, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this guy, uh, you know, he doesn't look like a monster or anything and it still kind of looks small for him uh i feel like like your your uh pickup is kind of like the low end of size that i would feel comfortable in i mean you know obviously they have those like races where they they take those barbie power wheels down a hill like you you can get <laughs> in anything it just doesn't mean it's a good idea so right. i don't know maybe yeah, if they can get like it maybe yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think this is like third scale, perhaps not even, you know, half scale. Right. Yeah. I mean, if they could get it a little bit more, um, you know, usable for an American male, <laughs> usable for American male. And then I, I would also add that, uh, um, not welding. Like if you could just put it together using normal, like screwdrivers and, and wrenches, uh, yeah. it would be a little bit easier to uh, justify picking that up. Well, hopefully that was an outlier case. Hopefully, yeah, know, maybe for most people, everything lines up. They're tightening it up, tightening up the process. All right, so uh, kind of the, the last big story uh, of 2021 and kind of one that takes us into 2022, uh, BMW unveils high-speed electric bicycle with 300 kilom kilometers of range, which sounds amazing, plus an electric motorcycle. Yeah, definitely. So this was a, uh, a pretty crazy story. I mean, BMW basically said, we know that there are electric bicycle laws out there. We don't care. We're going to build what we think is, you know, the right type of uh, personal transportation electric bike. It goes, I think it was uh, 60 kilometers an hour. So it's like 36 miles an hour. It's got a two kilowatt hour battery. They didn't list the motor power, um, but it's obviously more than 750 watts, which is the 
US limit and, and certainly more than the 250 watt European limit, which um, BMW would have to, uh, you know, apply to in, uh, in Germany. And so this is basically um, thrown in the face of regulators to say, this is what we can do if we really, you know, build electric bikes the way we think they should be built. Now let's talk about how these laws can be updated. Right. And I, I love it. Like I, I think, and as for BMW who haven't been terribly good on the, the car side, uh, they've, they've basically done nothing in the last 10 years and they're just starting to get kind of caught up to the rest of the world. But these things look amazing. Um, they look really fun, particularly the off-road one. Um, and is that a bigger tire in the back than the front? It does look like it, doesn't it? I mean, these are kind yeah. of concepties, so I think all of this could change. But uh, it certainly looks like, you know, they've gone motorcycle style with a larger rear tire. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what it like, have, we, have you talked to BMW? What is their kind of like plan with these? Are they going to hit up the regulators? Or are they going to just make these motorcycles? So these are still concepts. Unfortunately, there's no plan for actually producing them. Uh, not that long after they rolled out these concepts, Van Moof, a um, Dutch electric bicycle company, also showed off a high speed, I think they called it their like hyper bike or something. Um, that was also, I think, uh, 60 or 70 kilometers an hour. So, you know, like 36 or so miles an hour. And they actually say they're going to produce that bike. So unlike BMW here, which did it really as like a, uh, I guess, design experiment and um, argument to discuss e-bike regulations, Van Moof actually says they're going to produce a 30-something um, mile an hour e-bike and try and figure out the regulations as they go. I would love to see BMW actually produce these, but then you really have to have that conversation. You know, what is this? Is it a motorcycle? Is it a bicycle? Uh, it's obviously built for on roads, right? I mean, it's a commuter, but you know, how do you classify these things? Yeah. The commuter one definitely is this one. The other one uh, looks kind of like a uh, motorcycle because it has pegs, I think, instead of pedals. Yeah. That but, one's yeah. definitely a, a motorcycle. You know, once you lose the pedals, you, you've lost your e-bike argument. Right. Um, but I think that kind of brings us into, uh, like what we expect for 2022, um, in the e-bike world and, and what has kind of been the, the trend, uh, coming out of 2021 is these bigger bikes. And you mentioned Van Moof. Um, I think Van Moof, um, is really kind of, uh, a leader in the, you know, making a uh, the future of bikes that, you know, they have so many features in, in their, their, their smart e-bike platform that they're going to be able to do a lot of cool stuff. Um, so like, let's talk about other bikes, uh, that kind of we're, we're going into 2022 that can go over 30 miles per hour, close to, you know, 50 kilometers per hour and above, you know, what, what do we see for this? What is, what is the kind of thinking here? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of companies that are sort of like dancing around the legal limit. So in the US, it's a maximum of 28 miles per hour and 750 watts. But you've got companies like Juiced with their Hyper Scorpion, uh, Super 73 with almost all of their bikes <laughs> that, you know, go right up against the limit. Um, and, you know, you see a lot of these companies now that they're... Um, they, they have options for legal limits. So you can program the bike to 750 watts and 28 miles per hour, 
or you can go into the you know off-road mode and then you're unlimited so they break into the low 30s of miles per hour uh, some of Frey's bikes go like 36 37 miles an hour yep the cc certainly does until you melt the uh <laughs> sprockets but exactly yeah, I so can, i can attest know... to that personally <laughs> yeah i bet that was a lot of fun <laughs> yeah it was so yeah you've um, got a lot of these companies that are you know really pushing the limit and they're kind of like dancing right up to the line and over it and it it really begs the question of you know how much can you get away with as a a company with you know legal responsibilities and then at what point are regulators going to say all right these e-bikes exist now it's time to actually create legal frameworks so we don't have a bunch of you know lawless uh high speed e-bikes you know maybe we need to rein these in and say there's a class 4 and this is what the limits need to be you know you can go 35 miles an hour but you can't be over like 2 kilowatts or something right and and you did a post a couple of years ago or maybe it was like a year ago uh on like a prospective class 4 and you know it it was kind of it seemed like it kind of like the neighborhood electric vehicle 35 mile per hour range like what 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 are you kind of proposing there like what is what is the idea yeah, definitely. So that one was a bit controversial because not everyone agreed with my ideas on how you regulate it. You know, anytime you talk regulation, people are um, very particular about what they do or don't want to see. But personally, I would love to see uh, that class four of e-bikes that can go faster. Maybe it's 35, maybe it's 40, but to have some some serious safety regulation. So maybe that means that for class four, there's actually an electric bicycle license, like a very light motorcycle license. You know, maybe you don't need to do a full, you know, two day parking lot class, but you have to at least pass a um, simple skills test. You have to, you know, pass a written test that you understand some of the important uh, aspects of operating a, a high speed two wheeled vehicle. And personally, I, I think that being able to take like a, a motorcycle safety foundation class like you do for a motorcycle license would actually teach a lot of people important rider skills for operating a 35 or 40 mile an hour two-wheeled vehicle because you're, you're basically a light motorcycle at that point. So I think there's a lot of, lot to gain from those higher speed electric bicycles, but we need to treat them with the respect that that requires of a, of a light electric motorcycle. And that means, you know, treating it like a motor vehicle, having the right type of rider education, and perhaps even the right type of license to ensure that, you know, people are, are um, accountable for the type of vehicle that they're using. And how, you know, what would that look like? Is it something like you could do like on a smartphone or on a computer or would you need to go to a, a specific class? Like, could it be, you know, a test on a, you know, you, you watch videos and, and you, you take tests on a smartphone and, you know, you, you get a license and you print it out and put it on your, uh, the back of your helmet or how, what would, like, what are some ideas on what that would look like? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of uncharted territory. I mean, right. I, I think that at the minimum, like a, um, a written knowledge test, like you would take for a, you know, a learner's permit or something would be, would be good. And you could do that on a, on a smartphone or, you know, on your computer, you wouldn't even have to go down to a DMV because mm -hmm. if you think about it right now, you don't need any driver's license to, to ride an electric bicycle, which could mean that if you're someone who never got a driver's license for a car, maybe you don't even know the rules of the road. You know, you don't understand right of way or, you know, how four way uh, stop signs work. And so if, if it's someone who doesn't even have that understanding of, you know, motor vehicle law, 
how can you expect them to get on a 35 mile an hour electric bike and, and operate it safely with cars around? Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the, the big issue is you're going from 20 miles per hour, which is class one and two, uh, all the way up to 35 miles per hour. Um, you know, and safety, like you hit somebody going 35 miles per hour, you hit a pedestrian, you're probably going to do some really serious damage versus 20 miles per hour. You're going to do some damage, but probably not going to kill them. So, you know, that's a, that's a big difference there. I mean, on roads, like you're not going to do any damage to a car, but you know, it's the pedestrians that maybe that's where they would focus like the, uh, the information, although this, this BMW bike looks pretty burly. I'm sure that batteries <laughs> battery wouldn't be very light at all. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you take a, a smartphone exam you know, class and you, you pass a test on your smartphone and, and maybe you get a, a license you can print out and put on the back of your bike or on your back of your helmet or something um, that would allow you to kind of drive on roads. I think that would be reasonable. Like, I, you know, obviously I don't expect our government in the U S governments, state governments to like wrap their head around that and get that going anytime soon. But I think creating a framework um, that could kind of handle this, you know, these decisions and, and, you know, obviously like the roads in Vermont are a lot different than the roads in New York and you have winter stuff and you have uh, mountains and hills and all the other differences. So maybe on a state by state basis, it makes more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, mean, I think that's the way to do it. And then, you know, each state can can create their own regulations, their own uh, requirements. You know, like you said, maybe they, um, you know, you print out a license or they mail out a little plastic license that goes on the a license plate holder. And it's, it's a good way to differentiate between those, you know, sort of class four higher speed e-bikes and the class one through three, which are, you know, very much bicycles, just electric bicycles. Right. Um so let's talk about the bikes of 2022. Uh, we mentioned Van Moof's, uh, I can probably Google that one, but um, what other bikes, I mean, you know, our bike of the year last year was the uh, Juiced Hyper Scorpion. That, that kind of fits in the, you know, low 30s mile per hour. What other things are we seeing in that, that range? Yeah, definitely. So um, in terms of individual models, we, we rarely get a, you know, an early look at what, what models are going to come out. Lots of times we're surprised by the individual models, but we're certainly seeing some trends that um, revolve around some of these uh, higher power motors, but also bigger batteries. I'm starting to see a lot more of these uh, 48 volt, 20 amp hour. So about one kilowatt hour of capacity on a lot of e-bikes, which also makes sense because batteries just aren't that expensive anymore. You know, it doesn't add a lot to the uh, cost sheet of a bike to put in another dozen battery cells, but you know, you can have a, a big impact on range by just putting in, you know, 13 or 14 battery cells, you can get another 20, 25% range. So that's uh, something that I think we're starting to see more of as well are, are these larger capacity batteries. Yeah. And you definitely need a big battery to go 30 miles per hour. Um, if you know, obviously the, uh, the aerodynamics, uh, once you get up to 30 miles per hour, you're really pushing a lot of wind um, for, you know, these small motors. So getting getting uh, up to a kilowatt and beyond or, or is a kilowatt hour and beyond is important. Um, we're looking at the van move right now. Do, did they give us a, a size battery on the, that this thing? 
I don't recall if they if they uh shared a battery spec yet. I don't think they did. I don't see one in there. Yeah. I mean, it's still would... pretty conceptual looking. It's interesting. Right. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of space for battery there looking at the the tubes. Yeah, I wonder if they hide it in there somehow. Or maybe they <laughs> the designers hadn't thought about that yet. Like, oh yeah, we're going to need a battery for this thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot easier to design on paper, huh? Right. Um, it looks like a cool bike, and and thirty one miles per hour is obviously very, very nice spec. Um, that's kind of where the uh, the juiced bikes live. Uh, another brand that I haven't had personal experience with is uh, Ariel, and they have like the all wheel drive bikes. Can you tell me a little bit about that one. Yeah, definitely. So I love Ariel Rider. I mean, these are basically motorcycles with pedals. Uh, they've got uh, like you said, they've got all-wheel drive bikes. Uh, most of their bikes are fat tire, not all of them. And they really adopt that moped style design. So, you know, it really looks like the the mopeds and the mini bikes of the 1980s. And so there you've got the the Grizzly that you've got up on the screen there. And that's, you know, full suspension. It's got those dual coilover shocks, two batteries, two motors. I mean, it's just, it's excess wrapped in a bike is what it right. is. Yeah, and each yeah, so each bike or sorry, each motor is a thousand watt continuous, but eighteen hundred peak. So you're talking about close to four kilowatts total. Yeah, I was talking to the um, designer that's one of the founders, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, each of those motors can do two thousand watts, but we limit them to eighteen hundred and fifty for safety." <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, that's safe. Um, no, I margin mean, of error there. Yeah, so. Do these bikes, like, do they have to have special motors that, you know, the RPMs go up pretty high to get, you know, close to 40 miles per hour? Like, are they specially tuned motors? I know they're 52 volt. Yeah, definitely. So it's, uh, it has to do with the the way the copper wires are wound in there. Um, mm -hmm. The number of, of turns versus how many basically wires are, are together in a bundle. And so I, I I forget now off the top of my head whether it's more wires in parallel or more turns that makes it faster. It's one of the two. But uh, they're definitely wound to be higher RPM motors. But they also have to have other uh, modifications. So even mm. things like the coating on the wires has to be thicker and has to be higher quality because you get more heat buildup. And so you, you can't really just take any you know Bafang motor off the shelf and, and run it at those power levels. These are really... Uh, motors that are are designed to be to be run this high because it's it's performance levels that we really don't see very often in the e-bike world right it's like 10 miles per hour faster than you know the high end of what you would expect and then you know these things also like full suspension two batteries like there's a lot of just you know excess is probably the, the word that uh you know fits these best they're heavy, but the ride you say is pretty good. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the weight is so low on these that it just handles very nicely. It's not like <laughs> a, an actual electric motorcycle, you know, like when I was riding the, the Harley Davidson live wire, I mean, that thing has weight up so high that it just feels so bulky, but these, mm. even though they're incredibly heavy by bicycle standards, I think it's over a hundred pounds. It just handles very nicely with that low center of gravity those wide tires, the the good suspension. I mean, it's it's kind of a dream to ride, even though it it looks so massive. 
Yeah. And and it does look, I mean, are, do people, when they see this thing, are they just like stopping you and like, where do, where do I get one of these? Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause the, first of all, all the fat tire bikes, it's like people just watch you go by and they're like, what is that thing? But then when right. it's like these moped style, um, you know, a lot of people just think it's a, it's a motorcycle. I mean, you remember when we were in, uh, Germany taking the trains with those super 73 bikes, they almost yep. didn't let me on one of the trains with a bike because they thought it was a gas motorcycle. I had to like explain that it was, no, it's a battery electric. <laughs> um, yeah, it, those bikes are crazy. And, and I got the same, I remember I was riding around with, uh, so we're, we're talking about juiced bikes now. Um, I was riding around with juice, uh, CEO Tora around Brooklyn and Basically, every time we stopped, people would be like, what is that? Where do I get it? Like, they were just, like, enthralled with it. And and this was the Scorpion, which is kind of like a, a moped-y uh, looking e-bike, which, you know, the, the pedals, you can, you can definitely get going on these, particularly, like, they're good pedals, and the, the seat height is pretty good for pedaling. But, like, typically on these moped bikes, you're not really using the pedals too often. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, the Scorpion, it was at least decent for pedaling, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they really um, shaped the front of the, the seat for that. Yeah, they, they did a good job. And I mean, they're a, um, you know, they're first and foremost, an electric bicycle company, right? Like they didn't start with these motorcycle style bikes. So right. you know, they came from that perspective. And, and I think they did a decent job of making it pedalable. Other bikes like the Aerial Rider X-Class, which is another one of their bikes, like not pedalable at all. Right. Well, I mean, the Grizzly, were you pedaling that or was it kind of just that, it, that one was somewhere in the middle? Um, I'm also not that tall. I'm five foot seven, about 170 centimeters. So I don't have like the knees and my armpits feeling like some people right. would on the Grizzly. Um, so that was was doable for me. But I think the Juiced Scorpion is one of the best pedalable mopeds, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. And another thing for 2022 that I was really excited about um, is the Juiced Rip Racer. Um, this is a BMX style-ish. I, I guess you call it BMX style, but um, like they they kind of just turned their moped into a BMX bike, and uh, they're selling it for like a pretty low price. It's uh, starting at uh, fourteen hundred bucks. So, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this is a really neat one. Um, I mean, again, especially for someone like me that's uh, even somewhat below average height. I mean, these smaller, I think Juice called it a fun-sized bike. It's just a, a really convenient way to get the same kind of performance, the same 28 mile per hour top speed in a smaller format, something that fits nicer in a garage or in an apartment. And uh, so when they first rolled these out, they were talking about targeting uh, younger riders. And it was a little unclear what that meant like whether that was a euphemism for teenagers or you know because in some states there are even laws about how old you can be to ride an electric bicycle so it was a little bit unclear who the market was here or whether it was just you know smaller stature riders but in all the marketing i see what looks like you know normal height adults riding these things and it looks like you know anyone could really hop on a bike like this even though it's a bit of a smaller frame 20 inch fat tires it still has all the capabilities of a, a full-size electric bike and a, you know, a class three fast e-bike at that. Yeah. And it, I mean, it looks like a ton of fun, like just, just the, the BMX style and, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, you know, 
juice comes with pretty strong 52 volt uh motors so they're gonna go pretty quickly i think they're class three um yeah definitely so uh i mean all of juice or almost all juice bikes i think you can um modify to be you know class two or class three and i think this is no different in that you can change the limits if you know your your city only allows class two or you want to take a trail where class threes aren't allowed but it'll also open up into the um class three mode if you get the um uh larger format uh version right and or the, the, the higher power one i guess and do you know if you can like all juice bikes can you replace one battery with another like i know between scorpions and scramblers you can kind of switch batteries can you switch batteries from one of those uh to this i'm pretty sure you can so this one actually has a new version of their battery but they said it is backwards compatible so it still fits the same like sized case but this new battery has a few extra features on it it's got uh, like a carry handle and it's also designed to fit into a special charging dock that will also have uh, 110 volt outlets on it. That's right. So, that, um, that for me is another big uh, piece of the the puzzle going forward. Like you have this huge battery pack on your bike, you know, relatively huge. But you know, compared to like we talked about the Jackery thing earlier, compared to stuff like that, you're, you've got a huge battery pack for your bike. But it can also be used for other stuff like pulling in solar when the power goes out when you're off grid, um, you go camping or whatever juiced created. And I, I don't know if I can find the, the story on this, but juice created a, an adapter or like almost like a dock that, that allows you to take the battery out and put it in the stock. And, you know, tell us about that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think juice deserves a lot of credit there because we're seeing a lot of innovation in different directions in the e-bike industry, but this is, is very much a first in terms of, making the battery so useful for non e-bike things. Like you said, it's a big capacity battery. So why should it only be limited to powering your e-bike with that adapter? Um, you, you know, plug it in like a dock and then it gives you, I think there's a 12 volt cigarette outlet lighter, uh, 110 volt, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. 110 volt AC, uh, power outlets. And it allows you to really use it for anything. You know, if you're camping, you can run your CPAP machine or you can run, you know, lantern lights or string up, you know, lights in the trees. Uh, you can take it, you know, doing karaoke in the park. You can plug in a, a karaoke machine, all sorts of like off-grid power applications that you can do. Plus, it just serves as like a cool charging dock. So when you bring your bike in or your battery in, you don't have to, you know, go looking around for a charger. You just drop the battery on the dock and all of a sudden you're you're charging up. So I, I think it's a really cool innovation and it just shows that there's so much that can be done with these e-bikes outside of purely transportation and the that kind of innovation is really exciting yeah and and um you can only use it with their new batteries right you can't use old batteries there yes i think only the new batteries um if you're searching for it i, I think if it's uh i think the time i've been like closer look at the rip racer and i think there's some um uh some videos or pictures there but uh it is the the newer design of their battery uh, and the bike itself, I think, is is backwards compatible. That it'll fit the, the older batteries, and I think, you know, older juiced bikes will fit the new batteries as well. But the the fancy new dock that they have coming uh, should only work with those new batteries, I believe. But there's not a lot of information yet, and they haven't 
actually released the the new doc so i think you know it's only going to be maybe mid or, or late next year that we'll finally see it and be able to to buy it yeah and so definitely something we're gonna we're gonna test out i think that'll be a lot of fun um we're, we're looking at juice other stuff here um i wonder if other companies or if you know there's kind of like a generic uh, version of this planned because you know there's like i don't know that 100 different formats of e-bike but really all you need is a 48 volt output into something like this it would be nice if there was like a kind of universal dock for e-bike batteries that would uh that would pull some of this like power there i mean you're getting a whole nother kind of like use case that people we know like uh Jackery and others and, and Blue Eddy Blue Eddy is one of our sponsors. They just sell these big batteries that you can take around with you and plug in your stuff. Like you you have like 98% of that on your bike at all times. Like all you have to do is like that extra 2% and you all of a sudden have this thing that people are already paying, you know, 3, 4 or 500 bucks for. So it's it's just surprising to me that um we've only just started to see the beginning of this and, and kudos to juiced for kind of, you know, leading the way, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully they get copied, but hopefully they do well with theirs. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it's something we, uh, Mike and I have toyed, uh, the idea of starting like a, a product where you would, you know, just plug in your e-bike to a dock and you could do all kinds of stuff like solar and, and have it, uh, uh, power your, you know, stereo or whatever at the beach. Um, so what other trends are there for 2022? Well, I think, unfortunately, one of the biggest trends we're going to see is an increase in prices. We've yeah. already started to see it at the end of this year. Um, Rad Power Bikes sort of got nailed as, as the big one that got all the publicity for it. Um, they increased their prices, I think on the, the 29th of December. So just a, a couple days ago, almost all of their bikes went up by either a hundred or $200. And they were in the, most of the bikes were around the 15 to $1,600 mark. Um, so, you know, you're talking like somewhere between, uh, you know, 10, 15% on a lot of these bikes and then ride one up, uh, another big California based e-bike company increased prices and several other companies have said prices are going up. Uh, Zugo has said they're going to increase prices. So uh, unfortunately, I think that's going to be a big trend as well. And it's it's caused by just so many different pricing pressures in the industry right now. Whether it's you know the shipping uh, concerns we've talked about, where shipping prices are just sky high. Whether it's uh, materials, you know, the price of aluminum is increasing. Um, whether it's the exchange rate, uh, you know, the dollar's weakening against uh, the Chinese RMB. There's just from from every angle, the e-bike industry is just getting hammered, and and that's finally um, pushing through into prices that consumers are having to pay. Yeah, that's a bummer. I really liked the uh, Rad Runner and the Rad Mini uh, at around a thousand dollar price point. Now, the only one that's even close is the Rad Mission, and that's not even that close at at. Uh, 1200 bucks um we should note uh I, I feel like we talked about it um with uh patrick but um juiced um didn't necessarily raise their price they kind of raised their prices 
on their new stuff, but they also had um, a sale at the end of the year. So they raised prices and then now they're kind of lowering prices. But um, a few of Juice bikes are pretty significantly off. Like the uh, Rip Current S is now 2300 from 2700 um, 200 bucks off the Hyper Scorpion. Hundred bucks off of the uh, Scrambler, sixteen ninety nine. I mean, these are obviously already more expensive than uh, the uh, rad bikes, but they're not really raising prices, or or they raised prices previously, and now they're kind of lowering them down to make it uh, look good. Um, also, the Rip Racer starts at uh, fourteen hundred dollars now, which is I think going to go up to fifteen hundred pretty soon. Yeah, even still, where... I think that Rip Racer is a, a pretty good deal because that just looks like such a fun bike. I mean, no one's test ridden it because they don't exist yet. They're probably in a container ship off Long Beach, but uh, right, <laughs> it, it looks. A guy, there's a guy in a boat riding one right now. <laughs> yeah, doing wheelies off a container. Doesn't um, I saw a similar looking bike uh, from a company that we don't n- normally associate with innovation te- specifically, uh, Pedigo, which. Uh, Let's see. Um, they make, um, yeah, this thing, uh, which kind of looks like, and and I've actually seen these in the wild. Um, yeah, it's the element, I believe. I've actually ridden that one. Yeah. So, you know, if if you're looking for an option, let's see what it says. Limited time special offer. Yeah, this one it's only 20 miles an hour though i think so right. uh, you know the juice goes up to 28 and it also has their more advanced batteries uh, there are some differences the frame is is oddly similar i mean you know a lot of these companies use the same uh third-party factories you know i don't think juiced has its own factory i think you know they probably command a lot of the volume out of whatever factory they use yeah All right, so should we jump into comments? I mean, uh, we've been kind of keeping an eye on on the stuff throughout the show, but uh, maybe we should address some of these um, head on here before we, we end up the show. Um, so uh, Sean Hall says his friend's bike shop didn't survive. I think I think we lost a lot of bike shops over the last two years. Yeah, that um, really is unfortunate because they're such an important part of small businesses. And if they didn't survive long enough to get the uh, boost of you know the the bike sales and and they unfortunately a lot of them just couldn't make it right in the beginning during the shutdowns that so tragic yeah. that so many of these independent bike shops had to close yeah and and I I wonder if like the bike shop model needs to be updated a little bit because I think a lot of these um you know obviously rad and and um, juiced and these other aerial companies they 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 sell direct to customers. Um, I feel like the bike shops that kind of jump in there and say, look, you got your bike from online. We're going to tune it up. We're going to take care of you after the fact. That's where the big margins are. I wonder if like that's where they're moving to or, you know, like track and, and all the big, you know, bike shop bikes companies, they're also selling electric bikes, but you go into any bike shop and they kind of look down on you if you if you talk about electric bikes. I don't think they're moving into electric bikes quick enough. Yeah, or at least if you talk about an e-bike that isn't one of the ones that they stock, you know, the, the right. direct-to-consumer ones, like like you're saying. 
Yeah, that's a little bit rough. Um, so the Magicycle, uh, John Pell got his in nine days, no problem at all. So that's good. Uh, moving down, thank you for all the well wishes. Um, yeah, nine days, that's awesome, man. That's that's yeah. rare these days. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a hybrid model where, and I guess, you know, Juiced has already announced that it's it's starting its own bike shops. But I wonder if, uh, you know, that these companies can give give a little bit of the margin to the bike shops and basically have them do all the, the setup and, and you know, the, the inventory stuff. Uh, we'll see, I guess. So Paul... So Paul's comment there, I was actually just talking to uh, Steve, the owner of CSC Motorcycles. They actually still have the City Slicker and they're updating uh, a number of components on it for the uh, 2022 model line. So maybe the the old one's not on the side anymore, but be looking out because he said there's going to be a, an updated City Slicker coming out. Is that going to have an updated price or are we going to st- still see the, the same price? I'm not sure. I think it's held pretty steady around the $2,500 mark. And he didn't mention anything about price changes. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but he didn't mention it. Okay. We'll look out for that. Um, I definitely want to hear about that. Um, Paul also asked about the bigger tires affecting the power. Uh, typically, you get less power with, with bigger tires in the same uh, vehicle. Yeah, the um, torque also the... drops, unfortunately, when you increase those tire sizes. Right. And we were talking about uh, your pickup truck, I think, at that point of the show. Um, the China Nissan pickup. I'm not familiar with that one. That would kind of fall into the uh, the other podcast, perhaps. <laughs> um, David Kick says, my advice is uh, here to your job. You do on-site of electricity transports to design auto driver transports. Not sure what the. Uh, I'll just follow up on that one afterwards. I'm not. Yeah, yeah not getting the the meaning on that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, sometimes the Facebook comments are a little bit uh, need some translation. Uh, EV bimmers for the masses, uh, 300 kilometers, more like 150 on full throttle. That's probably true. Yeah, that BMW uh, bike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also removable battery on BMWs. I think so. Like at that size, it's, it's doable. So why not? And it, yeah, I think they said 2000 watt hours. That, that's an easy one to pull off two kilowatt Heck. hours. All right. Moving down, uh, Martin Schwartz, the danger of class four category could be a law forcing license plates and insurance for e-bikes. That's the other thing. Insurance is, just complicates matters so much. The government might not distinguish class four from class one, two, three in the classes. Yeah. I mean, if that happens, I wonder if we're living in like kind of the golden era of like unfettered e-bikes because, uh, you know, right now, like I can drive my, um, juiced hyper scorpion at around 30 miles per hour and nobody really gives me any problems, but you know, at some point, they're going to probably want us to license those things. And yeah, uh, definitely. That's no fun. Yeah. And, and Martin makes a good point that like, you know, if we're going to regulate class four e-bikes, if that becomes a thing, you know, hopefully that doesn't impact class one, two, and three. And those remain just 
bicycles by the, you know, the understanding of the law, because that is important that electric bicycles now are classified as bicycles. Yeah. Um, so Ultima 22 says the Grizzly is 104 pounds. I didn't know that's pretty heavy, but yeah, that's pretty close to 100. Yeah, it's yeah, not uh, Ultima keeping me honest here. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's 104 pounds. That's that's a heavy bike. I mean, that's a throw out your back while you put it in the truck kind of bike. Yeah, it's like having a, uh, you know, like a 12 year old on the back or something. All right. Uh, neither the Grizzly or the Scorpion are good for pedaling. That's true. Uh, a slow so two mile the, trip. Yeah. Yeah. I think distinguishing between pedaling without power and pedal assist. So I would agree right. that pedaling without any power is juice is not a good, uh, the juice scorpion is not a good bike for that, but with no. pedal assist, it's, it's a good comfortable pedaler. Right. And it, and that, and that's compared to other bikes in its class, not necessarily like a 26 or a, yeah. a full size bike. Uh, how does it handle road imperfections? I think we were talking about the Grizzly at that point. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about those giant tires and the suspension, I mean, you can hit pretty much anything and you just kind of float over it. Even non-suspension bikes with fat tires, you drop the tire pressure and you just kind of float over modest imperfections. You know, you hit like a 12 inch pothole, you're going to feel that, but you could just about go over a two by four and have a little bump. Right. All right, Gadget Dad asked a question. I think this is probably important for us to think about. Is it best to wait another year to purchase an electric bike as everyone is trying to rush out at the moment? Uh, once true value for money is established, that's the time I will be buying one. What do you think? Is it is now the time to buy or should we wait until things kind of return to normal if, if that ever happens? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question because now it's like, what is normal? Will it ever return or is there going to be a new normal? I, I have to imagine that things are more turbulent now than they will be in a year from now. But, you know, maybe that's a, a risky bet to make. And so with electric bikes being as expensive as they are, I can certainly see people wanting to wait and, you know, see if the market stabilizes, but also at the, the pace that new e-bikes are coming out. You know, there's, there's a lot to miss if you don't jump in at a certain point and, you know, reap the benefits of, of riding an e-bike. Yeah. So Gadget Dad also says a battery is only as good as its weakest cell. Will battery dialysis, I, I think he means analysis, uh, routines <laughs> be carried out for a vehicle unless, you know, the kidneys aren't working uh, for a vehicle not giving full power and only a few months old. I'd love uh, to see that become a thing with e-bikes. The problem is most electric bicycle batteries, the individual cells in parallel are all wired together. So you can't analyze one cell in a parallel group. Uh, you know, all those series groups, it's usually like 13 or 14 cells in series. You could actually, you know, analyze those, but the individual cells themselves, unfortunately, most e-bikes, you just aren't able to, to break them down to the cell level. Um, so another question, uh, from Chao Chi Wang uh, regarding batteries. When do you anticipate battery chemistry innovations to make their way to e-bikes? Um, I think that's happening already. We're already seeing the, the 21, 20 cells uh, reaching e-bikes. Um, I don't expect like solid state anytime soon, but um, what's happening in the, the EV world, the cars is definitely filtering down to e-bikes. What do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it too is is sort of the physical format. So like those new cell sizes are, are trickling down, but uh, I don't really know that we're going to see sort of these 
chemistry innovations in e-bikes anytime soon. You know, I mean, like we're starting to see things like sodium ion batteries and such, but I think it's going to be years before some of those new uh, chemistries start working their way into e-bikes. Yeah. And that's also, you know, as you say, pushing the price way down on, on battery packs, which is great. Um, Zach Attack, I brought my Suron to four different bike shops. And Suron's another uh, bike category that kind of blurs between motorcycle and e-bike. Um, you can actually get a sprocket and, and pedals for that thing, but it's really kind of a, an electric dirt bike. Um, so this guy brought his Suron to five different, four different bike shops to look for brakes. They had no idea what to do with it, which I find kind of hard to believe because it's really not that hard to figure out. Um, next to bikes, it looks like a dirt bike. Next to dirt bikes, it looks like a bike. It, it's right in between. Where are we going to take these like things that live in the middle of bikes and motorcycles to get fixed? Yeah, so I think that's going to be sort of a, a service industry catching up with demand as we start to see more e-bike specific shops. Uh, here where I live in Tel Aviv, uh, most of the year, we have all sorts of e-bike shops that will work on you know anything. And so to them, it's just normal to come in with any sort of weird e-bike, whether it's you know a retail one or something that you hack together in your garage, and they know how to work on it. In the US uh, or any country that's very much on the early stage of electric mobility adoption, just like Zach said, I mean, a lot of these e-bike store or the bicycle stores rather don't know what to do with like a, a light dirt bike. And if you take it to a, a dirt bike shop, they're going to be like, what is that thing? That's, right. that's not a dirt bike. Yeah, that's one of the problems of the direct consumer middle of the road models. Like, you know, if you get a rad power bike, most bike shops are going to be able to figure out what to do with it. The components are very similar to regular bikes. Although, you know, mid-level that I'm sure the bike shop bike guys are going to be like, oh, you know, those are those are garbage parts, um, you know, compared to my track or whatever. But uh, so the, another question, what is the weak point on rad bikes? Is there something that uh, is most common to break down is is this similar for other mid-price companies i have a mission and a wagon is on the way what for the wagon the probably the biggest thing is getting replacement tubes because it's got that weird i think it's a 22 inch uh wheel size if i'm not mistaken so it's right. not that you know it's something that breaks down but um you know like tubes and tire replacements there aren't as many uh the rad um runner has a, a similar issue it's got like the 3.3 inch tubes or something. I forget the exact number, but it's a, it's a special size that um, only rad has. And so uh, just in terms of, you know, maintenance parts like that, that can be a bit annoying in terms of like a weak point, a weak point that breaks. I haven't really heard of anything that's like a known issue on rad bikes like that. I mean, any bike is, you know, uh, is going to have an, an issue in a small percentage of them, but I haven't heard of any systematic problems like that. Rad is so big that if there was a systematic problem like that, I feel like they'd take care of it pretty quick. Yeah. You know what? With those weird size wheels, I almost wonder if they should send you some extra tubes, uh, you know, like just think ahead a little bit. Um, if you get a flat, you you don't have to like wait a couple of days for one to come via mail because you can't buy one at the local bike shop or, even like Walmart will carry like a couple different bike size tubes, especially for the, you know, the increased price 
prices may be ratcheted. Uh, you know, get get Mike on the horn, and we'll make the suggestion. I guess. Yeah. Well, Xiaomi um, does that. You buy a Xiaomi scooter, it comes with an extra tire and tube because they're like, yeah, we know this is a weird size. Here's a, a tube and tires. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Like more companies should do that if they have non-standard sizes. All right. Uh, do you think mid drives will become more common than than the hub hub drives? And this this is like one of the foundational questions of e-bikes is is like the mid drive versus the rear hub motor. What do you think? Um, yeah, I guess it's, you know, more common in general or more common than hub. I mean, I think they're very common as it is. It's just, they're also more expensive. So when you step up to a mid drive, you're usually stepping up to like a higher class of bike in terms of quality. So for a lot of these entry-level bikes, I don't think we're going to see more mid drives because it's just hard to build a, you know, an 800 or a $1,100 e-bike with a mid drive. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we are seeing the, you know, we're talking about the higher power, the Bafang Ultra is kind of like the, the main motor that can get mid drives into the uh, 1.5 kilowatt area. Um, Which, you know, we should see, it would be interesting to see uh, Bosch or Broza or any of the traditional mid drive companies uh, if they would get, or even Shimano or whatever. Uh, if they're going to hit that next tier, because, you know, in Europe, it's 250 Watts and they don't go much up from there. So yeah, it's a good well, question. A, a wink, wink, 250 sometimes. Right, right. Uh, Fred Saunders uh, takes the bike shop kind of approach, build your own and you don't have to the issue of finding somebody who can fix it. Yes. Uh, not everybody's we technically love DIY. capable. <laughs> <laughs> we love DIY here, uh, particularly Micah. Um, it's great. And if you DIY, like, you know, the parts are replaceable and fixable and you know exactly how to do it because you build it yourself. Unfortunately, not everybody's uh, super technic technical. So uh, your mileage may vary there. Uh, so this Ultima 22 person, uh, interesting. Uh, he has 5,000 miles on his Rad Mini. Uh, which <laughs> he put 2, a 2600 watt. watt upgrade on it. Never let me down. That's that's quite an update uh, for a rad mini. Uh, I, I can imagine unfolding that bad boy and then getting it up to like 50 miles per hour or whatever. 2600 watts. That's a rad mega you. now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, a foldable 2600 watt bike. That, that does actually sound kind of neat. Um, I wonder like what the battery looks like on that. And uh Maybe, maybe we'll get a follow-up. Uh, John Pell, no 26 by 4 at my local Walmart. I got an extra tire and two extra tubes, both on Amazon. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, if you have something that isn't going to be found at Walmart or, you know, whatever bike shop is nearby, they're not expensive. Just get them on Amazon a couple days ahead of time. Just put them in your garage. You know you're going to get a flat tire at some point. Um, so... Yeah. The last summer I got a flat tire and a fat bike and on Amazon and they were like sold out of fat tire tubes. I think it was in like really? the peak of the supply chain crisis. Like wow. I could not find a, a tube to save my life. I had to get one of those, um, you know, those like old orange patch kits that you put on the inner tube. And that's how I patched my tube. Like I never use those cause you know, they, they don't hold up so well, but that's how I had to do it. Cause I just could not get a fat tire tube on Amazon. Yeah. You know, I had something similar. It wasn't that I, 
couldn't get a fat tire tube. It's just I didn't want to have to pull off the whole motor and everything. <laughs> so I just used the fix a flat. <laughs> and it actually held up for pretty well uh, so far. So I just get a can, you know, they're like four bucks and I'm sure they're environmental catastrophe. But, um, you know, you just fill it up with one of those. And uh, for some reason it works. Um, hey, if I'm you not get sure lucky, why you get how... lucky. Yeah. Like, like, why not try that first versus buying everything else? And, you know, you actually save a little bit of money and uh, you're not wasting another tire. So I guess that's a, a win for the environment. Uh, so back to the... Uh, the rad mini, which I'm now really curious about. Um, it looks stock ish, uh, which also I'm now really curious, uh, Ultima 22, please send us pictures, um, and build and, uh, maybe we'll do some fun stuff there. Um, and the last thing, Hey Micah, my Frey EX cleared customs and it is headed my way. So that's the last comment we have. Uh, you have a Frey fan. That's awesome. Yeah, the EX is like a crazy electric mountain bike. That's going to be so much fun. You're going to love that thing. Yeah, uh, I had a ton of fun with my Frey CC. Um, I need to get a better sprocket because I accidentally changed gears going up a hill and uh, it just, the Fang Ultra turned the uh, sprocket to to like melt melted uh, <laughs> steel, I guess. So that's it for today. Work. Yeah. You want, to, you want to take us out, Micah? Um, yeah, so uh, this is basically the format that we're going to use. We're going to be back every couple of weeks talking about all of these personal mobility stories, you know, e-bikes, e-motorcycles, e-everything, as long as it doesn't look like a normal car. Great. Uh, we'll see everybody next time.